This episode of Horsepower Heritage is sponsored by Model Citizen Diecast. Now, maybe you can't afford that full-size E30 M3 or that rare 71 Nissan Skyline GTR, and that's probably okay because your garage is already chock full of other projects, and you've been turning so many wrenches, your knuckles look like they belong to a prize fighter. The last thing you need to do is muck about with another old car. And that's where Model Citizen Diecast comes in. They sell collector-grade scale model cars from manufacturers like Amalgam, Auto Art, Mini Champs, and others. They stock 143rd scale and 118th scale offerings. From streetcars to race machines, from pre-war classics to brand spanking new cars, Model Citizen Diecast has something for just about every interest and price range. Shop their online catalog at ModelCitizenDieCast.com or check out their Instagram page at Model Citizen Diecast. Model Citizen Diecast, because your inner child still wants to play with cars. Welcome to Horsepower Heritage. My name is Maurice Merrick. I'm your host. That microphone sounds warm and delightful. And if you're new to the podcast, thanks for checking it out. My only rule on this show is that we talk about the people and the stories behind the machines. And there's no telling where the next episode will go because I want to keep you guessing. There's just too much good stuff out there to talk about. So stick with me and I promise it'll never be boring. So today we've got more air-cooled Porsche talk with John Benton and Kevin Lynch. This is going to be part two of that discussion. If you haven't listened to part one yet, click on that first and then come back here. In part two, we talked about the process of building Kevin's 1968 912. We also talked about a current project these guys are working on, which is a 356 with a hot engine and some other tricks. It's going to be a bit of an outlaw. If you want to see where that build is at, follow John and Kevin on Instagram. Just look at the links in the show notes. We also talked about the devastating fire that swept through John's shop last year and how the Porsche community helped John rebuild. And I'm happy to say that Benton Performance is back and better than ever. And we discussed a great venture that Kevin Lynch has created. It's called Wolfpack 901. The goal is to provide an internship for young people who are interested in building cars. There's a link in the show notes for that effort too. So if you want to see the torch passed to the next generation, please go check it out and support it. Finally, as always, if you have questions, comments, show ideas, whatever, you can email me at horsepowerheritage at gmail.com. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy part two of my discussion with John Benton and Kevin Lynch. Let's hit it. Welcome back to Horsepower Heritage, and we're here with John Benton and Kevin Lynch, and we're talking air-cooled Porsches. So, Kevin, you told us a little bit about your 912, mm-hmm. Irish, but you also mentioned your other car, which is the Bahamer, which is a Bahama yellow car. 1968. Right. And let's talk more about that. And that you and John partnered on that build, yes? We did. In fact, I would say that was our first thing together. Um, it's where it all started. Yes, and and it's gone in many directions, but it started by me chasing John down because he was referred to me as the best guy to go to for a nine twelve build. And after months of chasing him, we finally sat down, and I dutifully walk into his office and roll out a big vision paper and put weights on all four corners, and it probably had fifty pictures of different things that I thought were interesting design attributes, and some drawings in the corners, and it was my mind map. And I said, I want to take this 68 shell that is 
well-worn, shall we say, <laughs> sitting in my garage, and I want to build something that incorporates all of this. That really illustrates your dedication because a lot of guys would go to their builder and just kind of rattle off a, a punch list. Or write a check and just say, you or, do it. Or write a check because he's done it before. He knows what he's doing. But that's very personal. And, I mean, that just shows your depth of of affection. And I think beyond that, John probably got me that moment where I'd say your average client takes a while for the for the synapses to connect. And for, for that moment, he looked at me and said, I get exactly what you're trying to do. And it was a long and thorough build, but I mean, the byproduct is arguably the finest 912 on the planet, save perhaps its genetic cousin in 912. And, mm. you know, it's a phenomenal car. And we, we fit every design attribute that was on that mind map in, and then a few more that we designed as we went. Mind 12 is a very personalized 912. It's John's personal car. And that happens to be your vanity plate. It is. And is that a car that you essentially learned a lot of tricks on in building it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I bought mine 12, my 912, uh, when I was 23 years old. And it was my first Porsche. And uh, I immediately started club racing in it. And, you know, I drive pretty hard and I'm... I like to consider myself a pretty good shoe. And when you push a machine, it fails. And I push it to failure in every aspect. And instead of, uh, you know, yielding, I wanted to find those limits, test them over and over again, and make improvements. And that was, that car was the epicenter of my development. I'll tell you, I, I had purchased a Corvette uh, shortly before the 912 from a guy in Palos Verdes. And because, uh, like I said, I like Chevys and I like I like uh, Porsches. And uh, right before I picked up that Corvette from the gentleman, uh, he called me and told me he broke a stub axle. Now, there's very few ways to break a stub axle on a on a car, so I told him I no longer wanted that car. So I got my money back, and then I bought the 912. So had I bought the Corvette that day, we may not be having the same discussion. So it, there's a very significant relationship with that car, and it was my, it's a lo, it's you know it's my car love of my life, and it's uh, it's been there, brought my kids home from the hospital in it, uh, it was my club race car. I concord the car, I've done everything you can do, with that car, and it's it's a really good car. Good I product. think one of the lessons here is that don't be afraid to break stuff. If you can turn a wrench, if you have the workspace. Then do it. I'm glad you brought that up because you, you keep making these points that are so critical to understanding vintage automobiles or motorcycles. Um, you have to have realistic expectations. And for God's sake, why buy a machine like this and drive it with eggshells? You know, terrified. That's horrible. That's horrible. It's like having a wife that you think is going to leave you every day. It's like, get out of that right away because uh, it's, it's not, it's no fun. I can't tell people how to live their lives, but I could absolutely tell them that, you know, we have limited time. Enjoy yourself. You know, you got this great machine, makes all the right noises and maybe grinds a gear here or there, but drive it. Drive it. Well, I mean, there's a duality to that, too. And I know you profess this as do I. Care for it and drive it hard. Yes. Right? Yes. But care for it. Yes. And if you do, the 
the yield, and I'm a big person about yield, the yield you get out of that in terms of joy is off the hook. It's just off the hook. I don't have a modern car. My newest car is a 1993. So I get to drive these when I'm home and not on an airplane. And they're amazing. They want to be driven. They do. And, I mean, for years I daily drove, you know, cars from the 60s, whether it's a 2002 or a Land Rover. Daily drove in L.A. and stop and go traffic, you know. And it, you, it, it teaches you a lot about tolerances and engineering mm-hmm. and your own abilities as a driver, then it also gives you a perspective on how far we've come. Because, John, you, you mentioned you, you liked some of the points that I made earlier about how people's expectations of old cars are far too high. Not it, a Honda. Today, you can get in just about any car and drive it the same as you would another car. Mm-hmm. And that is not true of a car that is let's say, 40 years old or older. It might actually amplify yes, absolutely. you don't have going. By the way, that brings us to one of the most legendary characteristics of the 911. They're tail happy. They oversteer. Which is, which is a great weapon if you know how to control it. Yes. It was engineered into the cars. It's engineered in, and they've spent eight generations engineering it out. out. Yeah. <laughs> which is, I think, the, one of the things Almost that I... sad. For me, maybe but. a little bit. I'd also say it's one of the things that makes Porsche amazing as a company and an organization and as a culture is they are the constant revolutionists. I mean, they're always trying to find something to do to better the car. And, you know, not unlike the Hondas and Toyotas we're talking about, they've tried to make it an easier driver car for the current generation while maintaining that shape and that feel. Right. There's very few Who? silhouettes on the planet that are. And who else, has done that? who else has done that? I don't think anyone else has really done that. Uh, it's, yeah, only, only more recently people are doing retro versions right. on modern cars, but Porsches maintain that shape. Let me read you guys something from the January 67 issue of Car and Driver. Another road test. Oversteer is back and Porsche's got it. <laughs> Early Porsches had it too, and now it has come full circle. Barely three years ago, Porsche employed a device called a, quote, camber compensator, unquote, (laughs) to curb the oversteering tendencies of the 356 series. Then the completely redesigned suspension of the 911 and 912 models made Porsches behave like normal front-engine cars, and the purists started to carp. Today, you can actually go up to... Porsche's Experience Center in Los Angeles, or the one in Atlanta, if you prefer, or the track out of Birmingham, um, and pay good money for a great experience, by the way. So I'm a huge advocate of what they do there. And you can take a course on learning to drift the 991.2 or even the 992 and do exactly what people talked about back in that 67 article. So it hasn't died. The desire to push that motor to its limits, that vehicle and that platform to its limits, which means breaking it out of its geometry, has not gone away. Drivers embrace it. John, let's get back to the Behammer build because this is a huge commitment from any owner. Sure. And your level of commitment has to be really above his. I try. And so the the unique the unique relationship I have with Kevin is that um, as a client, uh, he's high communication level, very high functional uh, person in that respect. And he kind of, he also, not kind of, he absolutely provided pieces ahead of time or examples of what we're going to be using. So 
the Tag Heuer's, you know, the where they were going to be on the car, his diagram of how he wanted the dash to be. These aren't things that most clients do. Some clients do. I, I don't. Uh, I never fully dictate anything. I will tell people I don't like think that's a good idea. I don't like that, and I'll, I'll try to give a reason why. Uh, but if they insist, we'll find a way to make it work. But with Kevin, the hammer, he was very specific. He provided examples. He had comparisons. And he kept re- uh, going back to Gentleman's GT. And he wanted it to reflect what would have been possible in the era that the car was built. So nothing too over the top. No crazy electronics. Let's do this in a way that reflects uh, what was available in the era. And then lifted up internally in the transmission and the engine in uh, in areas that aren't necessarily visible but will produce a better driving experience which and now I knew how to do that so we just progressed through it I and mean, he wanted fit finish it, all the finishes had to be german uh the paint had to be single stage the the materials used in the car were to be german as original as possible and uh so we 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 stuck to that so there's a lot of elements of that car there Absolutely, period correct, but maybe not build correct. There's little nuances here that may drive some purists crazy, but that it wasn't a purist car. It was a gentleman's GT on a Porsche platform. That was how it was. John, do you do everything in-house, or is there any aspect that you farm out? We farm out paint and interior. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't like experimenting on a client's dime unless it's a new thing. So if we're... Like with him, we have done that. If, if we're pushing the envelope and we want to reach a little higher, that's experimentation. So if we have a discussion like, hey, I'm, Kevin, this could take like 100 hours. Right. Well, 100 hours is a lot of money. But if you have the means and you want to have this little plateau that's all yours, let's do it. Technically or even aesthetically, you can find a space that, that uh, other people haven't dared to go to yet. That's and, right. And that's super cool. I mean, there's a little bit of a duality here, and I, I appreciate the people that go for a factory concourse-level car. You go to any concourse-level competition, and I don't know about others, but for me, I stand in awe of someone that can do that repetitively. And having done it, I appreciate the level of effort. That said, you have to be true to your soul. And while it was an amazing driving experience, being true to my soul, I find that edging that a little bit away from factory and not quite all the way to resto mod, but pushing out towards that is where I really like to go. And it's about the details as we talked about earlier, you know, on our current build, the 356A that we're referring to as the Wolf Project, um, you'll see some really interesting details. You know, 911s, you've probably seen H1 headlights on 911s for years. Well, truth be told, Porsche had in the 65 era, about 100 sets of H1 lights made for, for the 356. An incredibly rare detail. So it will have those on there. For the purist, they won't understand the application on a 1956 356A because the timelines don't tie together. But for the person that appreciates this, as I call it, the canvas and creating the, the masterpiece, they'll absolutely appreciate that level of detail being used on a car like this. So it just depends on where you're trying to land. Yeah, it's kind of a deep dive. Um, but that also advances the hobby because then more people become aware of that right. part of the history. And, so th- <clears throat> and I think you have to also look in the mirror a little bit and decide, 
and I've heard others refer to this, so I'm borrowing copy here. Who are you building it for? Are you building it to pull up at a Luft or a car event and have 100 people tell you that it's the greatest thing since sliced bread? Or are you building it to go drive and enjoy? And when you step out and you, you're looking at the key cabinet and you're like, which set of keys am I going to grab and what, what does that evoke in me? For me, it's the latter. Um, and if it's at a car environment and someone says, wow, you really, you know, I had to stop and come back to your car three times. It really impressed me or I was really amazed at that detail. Great. That's, that's just extra gratis. But for me, it's about building something that I can get in and it evokes something in me that's just pure joy. Well, yeah. I mean, that whole car from the tailpipe to the headlights, the Bahammer, that was all, I'm going to use another word, I despite bespoke, you know? It's like we, we discussed it, we, we mind-melded, and then that was the finished car. Hi, this is Maurice Merrick. How would you like to win a custom 1966 Triumph Bonneville 650? Union Motorcycle Classics is known for building meticulously crafted custom vintage motorcycles. And now they're raffling this 66 Bonneville to benefit the most vulnerable among us. All proceeds will go to Reacts Ministries in Southeast Asia. This bike is a classic British twin loaded with one-of-a-kind details, and it can be yours. Reacts strives to meet the specific needs of their children's homes and children's centers to foster and promote self-sustainability. Their goal is to provide food, shelter, and education to children who are otherwise unable to afford these basic needs. The entry deadline is October 7th, 2020 at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go to unionmotorcycle.com to enter. That's unionmotorcycle.com. See official rules on their website. You can also visit reactsministries.org to find out more about their valuable work. Because change in the world starts with you. So, John, you've been in business probably 25, almost 30 years now. I started working on other people's cars in 85, 86. And, but I didn't hang a shingle, like a legit like full-on all-in shop until 2005 or six, But I always had a garage shop, and I've been working on these cars and building cars for people and engines for a long, long time, over 30 years. Not long ago, the unthinkable happened. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, Benton Performance was made up of two buildings. One was a steel building, and it's listed on my insurance as non-flammable. And then I have the main tilt-up building with the service base. But the outer steel building housed my machine shop, my um, four-post lift, uh, and you know that area. And it also housed shelving with now we millions of dollars worth of parts, many unobtainable. And uh, the neighbor had a fire on a, one of his service trucks around midnight on October 30th. It was a spontaneous combustion failure on a Ford F-150, a 2016 Ford F-150, relatively new vehicle. And it just burst into flames, and the Santa Anas were blowing really strong that night. And those winds, uh, once the fuel tank went up, blew flames to the rest of his fleet of work trucks, and then onto his, onto his uh, lumber yard, two-story structure full of lumber and stone. For those of you not familiar with... <laughs> The Santa Ana winds. That's a regional, local weather phenomenon here in Southern California. So winds come off of the Great Basin, think Utah area. 
those winds come down the mountainsides. They're cold, but but by the time they get down to Southern California, the desert high desert wind. Yes, it's the the air is compressed and it's hot, and it's blowing forty miles an hour, and, and more. And, and, yes, and more. And and so those are the winds that uh, are responsible for a lot of our seasonal wildland fires yes. here in Southern California. But in the event of a structure fire, it's as challenging, if not more. Well, it it absolutely was a perfect storm of elements. The This truck, truck just bursts into flames. Then it scatters. Then this huge, you know, lumber yard, which is a structure almost as tall as my building, there's there was about a four foot air gap, and a chain link fence, and uh, it's at, it's midnight. It's an industrial area. By the time a call came in for this relatively big fire, uh, there was no hope. There wasn't a fire company on the planet that was going to have an impact in a positive way. And we're talking about burning fuel on the ground, right? That's flowing underneath? Yeah, yeah. so what happened was the, the original truck was a gas burner, but the truck immediately next to it was a, a bigger truck with diesel tanks, and they were full. And when those diesel tanks let go, it, it was like a napalm explosion. In the video, it just overwhelms the cameras. It's just white. And it's superheated with this, these high winds. And it's just this weird storm of stuff because you had all this wood and diesel fuel and four feet high stone, slabs of stone, and they superheated like a forge. And it got so hot that it buckled the steel building and the panels opened up and flame jets, superheated flame jets went in there and it started an intense inferno on that side of the building. And I had soft stuff right there, all the racing seats, all the spares, in plastic bins for La Carrera and Peking to Paris. And all these parts are there in bins. They went up, and then right next to that, hard parts for engines, including magnesium. And then all the mag wheels. And the other side of the... Sh- Mind you, this I just passed my fire inspection, so... Magnesium is its own oxidizer. That's right. It has <clears throat> oxygen Built bound right up in. into the molecular structure. So when in a magnesium engine case catches fire, oxygen is released in that chemical reaction and it burns more intensely. And if you put water on it... It gets worse. It gets worse. It gets worse. That's right. You're feeding it. Yeah, you are absolutely feeding it. So, yeah. So you're faced with the unthinkable, really. I, as of late, have not kept my phone by my bedside because I get calls 24-7. And uh, we usually start the day around 4.30 to 5 a.m. And uh, my wife woke up and said, hey, your phone is blowing up. And I'm thinking, hmm, that's not good. So I got my phone, and I went on to my security system, and one of my cameras, you know, is looking, and I'm like, oh, boy. And this was, it was too late. I mean, the fire had burned out. What I was seeing was my four giant roll-up doors with big fish mouths in them, a sea of water and foam, firemen moving about, and uh carnage just horrible carnage. horrible and so uh tim roper starts first at the shop he's one of my uh fabricators and uh he is very close i said hey and i hit him up texting right away and i said hey can you get to the shop right away there's been a fire 
So he calls me up. He goes, what's, what's going on? I said, there's a fire. I don't know what, how much, if it's the cameras are working on the main building, but nothing's working outside in the other building. So I don't know what we lost. So I said, I'm on my way. So I'm like warp speed heading there. And mind you, I live in Downey. My shop's in Anaheim. So on, on a motorcycle, I can get there in 25 minutes. I think I got there in 23 minutes. Like I was rolling in my Chevy, my, uh, my truck. So I, before I got there, Tim called me and he, he says, John, slow, don't just, there's no hurry. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, it's all gone. I'm like, what do you mean it's all gone? He goes, John, there's nothing left. He, the building's standing, but it looks like it's going to fall in. It's, it's gone. It's wilted, like just superheated. That has to be the worst feeling in the pit of your stomach. And it, or, and it feeds six families, which weighed more heavily, more heavily with me than my situation. Right, because you have employees to worry about. Were you thinking about what am I going to do tomorrow or what am I going to do in five minutes? Well, okay, so um, Kevin knows me better than most people, and I'm a fixer. If something's not right, it, it, I, I focus on making it right again. So at, at the time, being naive having never experienced this level of war zone carnage, okay? I was just about fixing it. And I was really like, okay, we can still work. Let's, uh, let's sweep all this water out of here. Let's tell the fire department they can, you know, let's, we don't need you here anymore. Because they were on watch because of the magnesium. And, and I went into the building and they, they said, hey, no, 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 don't go in the building. But I went in there anyways. I want to make see what was going on. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to get things rolling again, literally. And uh, I didn't have the epiphany that there's nothing going to happen here for a couple of days. You know, I, we, it was, mind you, this is a cul-de-sac. It's a shared environment with other businesses. It was just blackness and soot and gray and it was getting tracked everywhere and there was fallout and, uh, you know, we're building nice cars. It started to sink in. And the reality is, was I was out of business. Did your thoughts go to the customers that, had cars oh, in the shop. Absolutely. Without question. Without question, you did. And now I've got to tell him that his substantial investment is ashes. I had some solace in that I have insurance. I've been paying premiums for a long time. And I, we were chit-chatting, and me and my wife, and I think we, we came to a number that was close to a quarter of a million dollars worth of premiums. I've never had a claim. So, you know, I, all of a sudden, I, I want to activate what I've paid for and it's been it's been very very taxing uh, and I gotta say um, the community without the community I can absolutely tell you right now that I would not have been able to fight the battle I fought I I think that's the flip side of this I mean we often talk about why do you have passion for these cars or a particular brand what's been amazing John you know and I'll represent the community for this sure. purpose this is why we love this community, the community has risen. Um, I mean, you could look at all the tragedy because it's clear. The carnage was clear. The losses were clear. The parts that we had were clear. But the community has risen, invested in you, backed you up, stood by you, did a number of things to help. And, you know, I would say, thank goodness that uh, it was only the four bay that was lost and not your main shop because mm – -hmm. We would have lost the icon known as Benton Performance had that happened. Completely. I'm wearing the T-shirt that was commissioned as a benefit 
for Benton Performance. Mm-hmm. And this is printed by Blipshift. With artwork done by A Streetcar Wade Desires. A Streetcar Wade Desires. So check that out on Instagram. But it's a fantastic shirt. It's super high quality. I love Incredible. it. Incredible. Incredible. I think I even have some mustard stains on it already. Maybe some gear oil. That's I'm not patina. Sure. That's it's, patina. Yeah, it's patina, right? That's, that's the way it's supposed to go. Like, yes. it is. John, this all comes back to how respected and valued you are in the Porsche community. These cars need caretakers, not just owners, but people who can service them. And you're one of those people. But you're not going to be around forever. And that brings us to a very interesting venture that Kevin has chosen to undertake, Wolfpack 901. Let's talk about it. So this started on a Porsche weekend in the Central Coast. Um, A number of owners sitting around the fire, having a few libations. And the prevailing question was, we've enjoyed ourselves, we're blessed. This is awesome. What do we do to give back? And for me, my interpretation of that was a little different. It was, we've got two problems to solve. We've got the masters, as I call them, the John Bentons of the world that have an enormous amount of knowledge in their head, um, run really great small businesses, but adding an untrained employee is like adding 15% to the workforce. It's not a small move. So how do we get them somewhere to take their legacy forward and to transfer the knowledge? There are young kids right now who they yearn for that analog experience in life and they want to kind of make that their their craft. That's right. And and you saw that. For sure. I mean, in need. an era where there's no vocational training or very little. So you have a young person, man or woman, doesn't matter, that, you know, when we were growing up, they would have tracked towards something of passion. And today we've got an educational system that's almost vanilla. It's a one-size-fits-all, but the population isn't. And so how do you help that young person? And when that young person walks into a Benton performance, not only is it a 15% add to his workforce, for them, it's a huge cliff event. They've never worked before. They don't have much to offer. So bridging that gap for me became the passion point. And I'll call it a – it's better than an experiment, but it's not quite a a perfect venture yet. But if we could take that young person that showed passion – and get them tied to a shop and make an economically neutral proposition for the shop. So we provide the shop with a training grant for, let's say, for sake of discussion, six months of work. So the employee gets paid. The young person gets paid. It's, it's not volunteering. It's a paid internship. They're at risk because they need to obviously perform and behave and all the things a John or others would expect of any other employee. And it's all about experiential education. It's on the job. It's not manuals and sitting in a corner in a classroom for six months. It's out doing work. And it's also not sweeping floors and being cheap labor. It's a curriculum based. We're going to do breaks this month. We're going to do a motor rebuild. We're going to do some menial things like degrease a case. But we're also going to do rewiring a, a, a harness for a 901. Uh, it is difficult to bring someone in who's not shop savvy didn't grow up around this stuff so you know i i i'm thankful for kevin to take that that leap of understanding and and putting together this this uh this project um and i'm i'm thankful that we were the first recipient of one of the uh the young man who absolutely this did change his life 
and uh, he uh, this will this will have an effect on him that will make everything he does better. Um, he's an engineering student, and he was he uh, was able to get a, a scholarship to uh, USC mm-hmm. for, you know, for engineering grant. And what we gave him is something a lot of engineering students won't have, which is a a, a tangible, real feeling for what happens when hands touch metal. I mean, a lot of guys, they may be the top engineering student in the class, but they have, they've never welded anything. They've never ground a piece of metal or practical application, a practical application of of these, these theories, you know? So I'm, I'm happy with the outcome and I look forward to, um, you know, I know you're going to spread this around and it's important, but I, I'm looking forward to receiving another Wolfpack, uh, candidate and maurice we're not perfect we're we're learning as we go um we've had some wonderful backers but we have you know this is a nights and weekends passion for me not a day job so we try our best to expand and grow but we'll make our mistakes and we'll learn a few things along the way um john shop was the perfect you know first candidate one uh the young man was you know ideal in every way um we had six people express interest we gave him a really simple exam question, mm-hmm. not not grading your grammar, your sentence structure, your paragraphs. Just tell us why you and what this means to you. Only one responded, and it was him. Now, that could say, well, okay, by default, he was the candidate, but the response was unbelievable. I mean, shake your knees and make you cry type of response to the passion. So it was easy. Um, and I think he, he earned every bit of it. And I think John Shop was a perfect place because I'll say that Periodically, if you look at life and people, you'll see that um, passion and narcissism sometimes can get, you know, misunderstood. They're close cousins, but they're quite different. You know, in John's environment, it's all passion. Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed about John and why I think we have such a deep friendship is he's passionate, but he's the opposite of narcissism. It's all about his team, the family that he creates in the shop. You have your way of doing things, but you know. To your earlier comment, there were families at risk when you had a fire. Mm-hmm. It was about that for you more than anything else. That's a perfect environment to put a young person into, to learn and grow. Doesn't matter what they go do with their lives from here. Those six or eight months will make a difference for that person. I think if I went back to that very first day with John, where we rolled out my mind map and said, "Hey, do you want to build this?" Neither of us could have envisioned where our relationship has gone. You know, from there to other builds, uh, from there to some ventures together around parts, many of which unfortunately are pools of metal in a in a bin today because of the fire. Yep. Um, and from there into being a candidate in shop, and beyond that, a thought partner around the foundation and how we do things, and a good brand advocate for us. And so, you know, we never envisioned it on that day, but it it has naturally evolved that way. And there's a trust that we have. I mean, the project we're doing today is very extensive, very extensive. And I would say for the for those that are contemplating doing something with a car, whether small or large, that's a big gap too to solve. How do you gain the trust in the partner you're going to choose to do a restoration or a mild restoration or a motor or, or driveline rebuild? There's a trust issue here. Um, and there's people that are really good at this in many reputable hands. There's unfortunately been people that are less so. And, you know, for me, that's been a big part of this. The project you're talking about is a 356, right? That is correct. It's a 356, a 1956 
beehive, as it's called, because of the small tail lights, beehive coop. Um, I don't know if my research is 100% correct, but according to the data I found, the 14th 356 built for the 1956 model year. A little bit of a mutt, by the way, not numbers matching. So we didn't take a wonderful provenance-based car and tear it apart. Uh, and it's a car that, you know, built in Germany, shipped to the United States, spent the majority of its early life in the Chicago area, spent a lot of that in a barn, went back to Europe and spe specifically to the Netherlands, small bespoke restorer, did a reasonable job, reasonable job. Driver. Driver, driver quality. Came back to the U.S. with a 912 motor, driver quality 356A, very good body, um, average driveline, some modifications to the to the gearbox. Enjoyed it for a few years like that. Perfect candidate for this type of restoration. Here we're building a 2.7 liter, four cylinder, polo driven, 901 driveline. So, a, you know, effectively the gearbox out of a 1967 911S for sake of reference. Disc brakes all the way around. Oil cooler is consistent with a Carrera GT of its age, but enhanced with some unique twists and designs that people will get to see over time. So it's it's edging out towards resto mod, but not quite there. Still nods to the mark. And the polo motor is a very unique thing. Let's tell people about that for those who don't know. So the polo motor, and John will enhance my comments, no doubt, but uh, 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 Dean Polopolos, uh, designed this motor, effectively took a six-cylinder 911 motor, and in version one was plasma cutting that case and creating a four-cylinder variant. So with that, uh, Dean eventually designed a purpose-built case and uses 993-level uh, equipment to pair with that purpose-built case. Uh, twin overhead cam. It's effectively a four-cylinder 911 motor. Most have been deployed in 356s. There is a growing 912 community. I think there are five or six out there at this stage. This motor was originally envisioned to go in the Bahamas. That was our original intent. And that car, we ended up using the numbers matching case in the Bahamas build, and that sort of changed our direction. So this motor is sat for a bit, but it's a 2.7 titanium uh, rods, very customized heads, you know, a, a hydration cam. Mm -hmm. It's a unique beast. It'll make some power. It'll be fun. <laughs> Kevin Lynch, John Benton, thank you for joining me today. And people can find you at bentonperformance.com. Yes. And Kevin, let's talk about how people get in touch with you and also Wolfpack901. We do have a website. It's www.wolfpack901.com. In there is an email of reference that someone can reach me. It is lynch.kevina at gmail.com, just for the reference. And on Instagram, I can be reached at at kevin.lynch. So very, very simple. Um, we, are, we have one candidate in process right now. We're trying to find the suitable shop to put that candidate. So life progresses, but we're always interested in finding the young talent that wants to do this. The money has become easier to find. The young people with interest is the harder thing to solve. So we're always open and interested in looking at candidates. And even if we don't have the wherewithal today, we'll find it. For those with great vintage cars that want a great grill badge, we have a superb array of grill badges that are Wolfpack 901 
branded, uh, and you see them throughout the Porsche community. It's it's amazing to me to go to a large event and see those grill badges all over. I mean, it's so inspiring for me. Kevin Lynch and John Benton, thank you for being with me today. This has been fantastic. Hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed it too. That's it for this episode of Horsepower Heritage. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, click that five-star rating, and leave me a review. All of those things will help me reach more gearheads like you. Until next time, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening.